Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Um, this morning, we're talking about vacation, all right? So Matt said, Matt friends like, all right, I want you to preach on vacation, and I'm going to go live vacation. Matt's not here. So Matt's in Charleston, South Carolina, enjoying vacation. You and I are here talking about how important it is that we go on vacation. Uh, as we talk about vacation, uh, we have to think about the concepts of work and rest, and the way we, our perceptions, the way we understand work and rest will make all the difference in how we go through this discussion on vacation. Uh, So perceptions matter. Last week, Matt was up here, and he was talking about a rafting trip that he, I, and a few of the other pastors took together, and if you weren't there, the description kind of went like this. Uh, Matt was talking about a point in our trip where the rafts, and there were like six or seven different rafts, where they circled back and they kind of went under a waterfall, okay? Matt, in his illustration, used it to represent like the wrath and judgment of God. So one would think that the waterfall that we were going under was about the size of Niagara Falls, right? Well, I was on the rafting trip and my perception, my way of viewing it was very different than Matt's. Uh, As we were heading towards it, it was about three and a half feet tall. Like it was this tall. So as all of us are heading that direction, so here's some choppy water. In fact, if you can narrow it in just a little bit, can you find Matt? There he is. There's Matt. So when choppy water would start up, this was the natural tendency is to look towards the middle, pull the oar out of the water and jump to the middle. Okay. I was in front, so I never saw Matt doing this. It wasn't until after the trip that I found out Matt was constantly jumping into the middle of the raft. So as we were heading towards the waterfall, Matt's perception, for whatever reason, he viewed this three and a half foot waterfall like the wrath of God. Um, Caleb, Pastor Caleb and I were in the front and our thought was, let's try to climb the waterfall and go up it. I bet you that's never been done. Let's climb it. And so we did. So we, well, we didn't actually climb it, but we tried to climb it. So we're heading towards it. We're digging into the waterfall with our oars. I think we almost made it. If we would have had one more paddle in the water, maybe his paddle, uh, I think we would have actually climbed the waterfall. So perception matters. You need to be able to tell the difference between an opportunity and the wrath of God. So anyway, so that's an example of how wrath, or not wrath, how perception really does matter. So for us, how do we perceive the importance of rest? How do we perceive the importance of rest? In your bulletin, you have an outline. The first point in your outline is, is a balanced life possible? Is it even possible? So today we're gonna talk about the fact that God has designed you to work, but God has equally designed you for rest, for recovery, and for celebration. Like God intends for you to do those things. The only way that we can have a right perspective on work and rest is if we have a right perspective on the character of God and the work of Christ on the cross, the gospel. If we don't understand those two things, we've got no shot at understanding rest and work. So when it comes to the character of God, the Lord is very clear. He teaches us, he demonstrates, he shows us that he is loving and he's gracious, okay? He's loving and he's gracious. So when we say out loud that God is loving, we have to remember and recognize that it means more than the love you have for a spouse or for a friend or for a child or for a grandchild. When he says, I love you, it's a level higher than anything you've ever received or given in this life. His love surpasses yours, it surpasses mine. 
The Bible also says that God is gracious. So if you can think of that person in your life, you just have to keep forgiving over and over and over again. And you think about how gracious you are and how you keep forgiving them. God's grace to you is so much more than your grace to them. So when the Bible calls God loving and gracious, we're talking about levels that we really can barely even fathom. But the result of his love and grace is that he's given you a gift. And one of those gifts that he's given you is the gift of rest. Can you imagine on a Christmas morning, you pick out what you think is the perfect gift for your child or grandchild or friend or spouse, and they open it up, they turn their nose up and they slide it onto the shelf never to use it. So often, that's how we treat this gift that God has given us of rest. We open it up, we look at it, see it as an opportunity, but then we never participate with it, we never enjoy it, and we just slide it on the shelf. I would argue when we open that gift and we use it and we enjoy it, we bring glory to God and he enjoys that and he loves that. We also need to recognize that the Lord is both faithful and good. He is faithful and good. He loves you, he's gracious, but he's faithful and he's good. So at night, when you go to close your eyes to enjoy the rest that God gives you every single day in the form of sleep, the way you can close your eyes and be at peace and truly have a restful sleep is if you know and believe that God has control over your world while you sleep. If you don't trust and believe that he's faithful, if you don't trust and believe that he's good, then it's really hard to have restful sleep. You have to know that his hands are on your house, on your children, on your spouse, on your parents, on your pets, on your work, on every aspect of your life. If you believe he is good and that he's faithful, you can truly sleep. And I would argue then you can truly vacation. On the cross, Jesus did all the work for us. There's something inside of us. I don't know if it's genetic or the sinful nature or what, but there's something inside of us that when we look at the work that Jesus did for us, we always feel like we need to help him out as though Jesus did 90% of the work and we have to do the last 10% of the work. Like Jesus ran the first 24 miles of the marathon and then he hands the baton to us and we have to finish the marathon. That is not at all what the gospel teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible is very clear that when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. All the work that needed to be done was accomplished. It was finished. It was done and completed on the cross. There's nothing available to you to contribute to your salvation. You and I are completely dependent upon him and what he did for our salvation. Again, we don't help out. We don't contribute. We don't pick up part of the weight and help carry that cross for him. He did all the work and he did it perfectly, sufficiently. So you and I, when we look at the gospel, when we look at Jesus and the work that he performed, we don't contribute. We simply thank him. We recognize how amazing it is uh, and we stand in awe of it. So working harder doesn't make God love you more. Working harder doesn't make God love you more. He loves you fully and completely in Jesus. So when we have this right perspective on the love and grace of God, on the goodness and faithfulness of God, and a right understanding of the work of Jesus on the cross on your behalf and mine, then we're set up to have this conversation about work and rest. Our ability to rest is anchored in our ability to trust. Our ability to rest is anchored in our ability to trust. Without trust, there will be no rest. And let me just caveat here for a second. 
Dis distraction is not rest. All of you, all of us, are very good at being distracted from our work. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, shiny objects and squirrels are in all of our lives, and we tend to get distracted at times from our work. I'm talking about intentionally putting work down and picking rest up. So I'm not talking about distraction. We rest the best when we trust God the most. We rest the best when we trust God the most. And if we trust God, then we have to orient our lives around this trust in him. But here's the reality. Most of us do not orient ourselves around trusting God. We orient our lives around other things, things that don't permit rest, things that don't value rest. Um, I, I know the tendency, I know the temptation. Uh, for me, I struggle with it all the time. I was out to dinner last night with a couple friends, my wife and I, and all of us just sat around and talked about how hard it is to close the computer, to close the iPad, to turn off the phone and simply rest and be with people. It is so difficult, it's so hard. I mean, I grew up in a, in a home where my dad was a mechanic. He worked on like large engines and he worked in a steel mill. If you know anything about Northeastern Ohio in the mid late 80s and steel, steel was like coal here, it was just was falling apart and now it's gone, it's not even a part of the state's economy. Well, my family was a part of that part of the economy. So what happened was every single year, my dad would talk about, this is possibly the last year where I'm gonna be employed. It sounds like the company, the steel, the steel company was gonna close down. So every year we'd, we'd have to like be super careful with our money. So for me, I feel like it's almost somewhat ingrained in me. If there's a moment available for me to work to make sure that we're maintaining a stable environment for my family, I just want to do it. So within me, I feel the temptation not to trust God with rest, but to work hard as though I'm the one providing for my family instead of God providing for my family. So I can relate to the struggle. When we have the wrong perception, we orient ourselves around the wrong things. One example is we overemphasize work. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one in the room who overemphasizes work. We tend to put our identity into our work. We put our trust into our work. We measure our success and value based upon our paycheck and sometimes the size of our paycheck. Work keeps us up at night. It keeps us busy on the weekends. Sometimes we're willing to skip vacation days just to make sure someone else doesn't grab our boss's attention or perhaps take some of our business or undermine our success. This is something I also struggled with for like 15 years before I came here to pastor, I was a full-time personal trainer. And every single time I'd go on vacation for a week, inevitably I'd lose one or two clients. Now as a personal trainer, if you lose a client, your paycheck does this, right? That's, that's how it worked. Now, why would I lose a client? This might surprise you, but if you're in the habit of working out and then you take a week off from working out, sometimes you think, I really like not working out better than working out. So that's how I would lose my clients, is they just really enjoyed not working out. Uh, so I would have to trust God. So I was, a, I was a trainer for 15 years. So every time I'd go, I'd have to pray, Lord, if I go and I lose a client, would you provide another for me? And over time he would. Every year my business slowly grew and I'm not saying that's a promise that God gives us, but it's an area where we can trust him. I can relate to that, it's hard. When we have a wrong perspective on the gospel, when we think that we're contributing to the work of Christ, our mind can go in some interesting directions. For example, sometimes we think God loves us more on our productive days 
and that he loves us less on our non-productive days. Sometimes we think the idea of taking a day off is a bad choice. And when we do take a day off, we struggle with guilt all day. We feel like we should be working. We should be doing something. So even in your rest, you're restless. We look at people who take naps and we think, wow, they're ungodly. Oh, okay, I struck something. Okay, I struggle with that thought too. Um, And my wife loves naps, but my wife is more godly than I am. So like, okay, so napping isn't ungodly. Uh, We also struggle on, on the weekends with checking work and checking on our work responsibilities. Sometimes when we have this view of relationships, it's, it's difficult just to sit and be with people. Because if you're always thinking about work, that means you always have an agenda. Every single moment is driven by goals and purposes and values instead of just wanting to be with people. So it's really hard if we don't honor, honor the cross and we don't honor God's character and we don't honor rest, that our times with people turn into times that we can't relax. We always come in with an agenda. To truly rest means we're truly enjoying the people around them um, with no other intentions. Well, Pastor Mike, the Bible says that laziness is a bad thing. Thank you. Pastor Mike, doesn't the Bible say if you do not work, you will not eat? Yes, I agree. So I'm not up here promoting laziness. In fact, if you know me well, you'll know that I will never promote laziness. If you ask me, do I like laziness? I'll say, give me 15 more push-ups. Okay, so that, that's the type of relationship I have with laziness. But the reality is, is that we're called to rest just like we're called to work. Colossians chapter three. Verse 23 says this, whatever you do, catch those first three words, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. So when you do work, you're called to work with all your heart as though the Lord is the one sitting in the corner office judging your work. You work for him with all your heart. But remember the first three words, whatever you do. So when you do rest, you're called to rest also with all your heart as though for the Lord. So when you're taking your rest day, are you doing it with all your heart? As you're taking your rest weekend or you're taking your vacation, are you doing it as unto the Lord? That's the expectation for how we rest. We rest with all of our hearts. And again, we rest the best when we trust God the most. So the second point in your outline is God's design for balance. So can we find balance? God gives us some examples here in the Old Testament. So we're gonna work through several examples and then talk about how it applies to us. Genesis chapter two, verses one through three says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. So God works for six days. He creates the world. That's kind of a big job. He creates the world. And then on the seventh day, he rests. The Bible is very clear. God is all powerful. There's no ounce of of power. There's no kilowatt of power out in the universe that isn't his or didn't come from him. He is all powerful. So God wasn't more tired on the sixth day than he was on the first day. God had, he was in no way tired on the first day, and he was in no way tired on the sixth day. So when he chose to rest on the seventh day, it wasn't because of exhaustion. God wasn't resting because he was worn out. He hadn't used up his energy and needed to like restore his power. That wasn't God's situation here. 
God rested because he chose to. So God isn't resting because he needs to. He's resting also as an example to you and me. God is resting on the seventh day because he wants to show us, give us an example of how we are to rest, how it's important. So sometimes for you and me, you don't take a rest day because you're tired. You take a rest day because God has given it to you as an example. He's demonstrated it for you. He wants you to take a rest day. So this concept of taking a rest day isn't in response to how you feel. It's a rhythm that God has called you to live in as one of his children. We're made for daily rest. Psalm 132, four and five. Uh, And this isn't a surprise for you. Where were you before you came here this morning? You were in your bed, right? And then you got up out of your bed. Like God has designed this where we can't even go 24 hours without rest. Rest is a part of our daily schedule. Psalm 132, four and five says this. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. He grants sleep to those he loves. So sleep here is viewed as a gift. Sleep here is viewed as something that he gives to those that he cares about, that he loves. So sleeping at night is actually one of the beautiful things that God does for you on a daily basis. Sometimes we forget to notice all of God's good gifts. When you put your head down at night, you can say, Lord, thank you for this good gift because he gives that gift to those that he loves. And if you're trusting in him in that moment when you close your eyes, it allows you to sleep with a restful, peaceful spirit, knowing he has control. We're also made for weekly rest. Exodus 28 through 10 is a section of the great 10 great commandments. And he talks about setting aside the Sabbath, setting aside a day a week to give to the Lord. It's a period of time where the Israelites, the Old Testament people in the Old Testament would not work. They would spend time together. They would eat, they would talk about the Lord and they would enjoy one another. It was a day of recovery. It was a day of celebration. So the Lord here in Exodus 28 through 10 pushes this. Now, what's interesting, in Hebrews chapter four, it also talks about Sabbath. But here's a New Testament perspective. Jesus says that one day, one day when your life is over and my life is over, Jesus is gonna usher us into this eternal place of rest. If rest makes you uneasy, heaven might be hard for you because the Bible describes heaven as a place of eternal rest. So when you take a day off, and you just relax, it's a picture. It's a foretaste of heaven. It's a billboard, it's a sign of what your eternity is gonna be like. So resting is supposed to be a part of our schedule because God wants us to remember him and eternity and what we have to look forward to. If we never rest, we never get that opportunity. So God puts into our weekly patterns this concept of rest. Now, we would not say that you need to keep a particular day and you can't pick up your phone, you can't drive your car on a certain day of the week. We wouldn't hold to the the specifics of the Old Testament law here, but rather it's a pattern that God's putting in place. Jesus, when he shows up on the scene, people were overdoing the Sabbath. They didn't just say, don't work. They said, don't walk a half mile, don't do this, don't do that, and added additional rules to the Sabbath. Jesus says, you weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you. Again, the Sabbath is a gift. It's not a bunch of laws that you need to to live under. It's a gift you get to 
enjoy. So for you, taking a day off a week is a gift you get to enjoy. It's a reminder of God's love, his grace, his faithfulness, and his goodness. The next one's interesting. In Leviticus 23, verses three through seven, it lists a couple of the feasts that the Old Testament people were supposed to celebrate. There are seven different feasts in the Old Testament that are a part of the annual calendar for the Israelites. Some of these feasts were an entire week long, but these weren't like, maybe you should do them. They were required to do. So God works into the yearly and annual calendar of his people, seven different times of rest, where they were required to put put the shovel down, okay? Put everything down and pick up rest and enjoy one another and celebrate. So God also worked rest into their yearly and annual schedules. Here's another interesting verse, Leviticus 25, one through nine. We're not gonna read it, but in these verses, he talks about the fact that they are supposed to till and harvest the ground for six years. On the seventh year, they're supposed to not till or harvest the ground. They're just supposed to let it grow. In the seventh year, they put down their tools, they don't pick up their shovels, and they just let the ground have a sabbatical year, which means they also get a bit of a sabbatical year. Imagine being an Israelite in the sixth year. So you've just taken up the harvest and you know next year you're not gonna plant any food. How are you going to eat? Well, here in Leviticus, God teaches us that we are designed to be dependent upon him. He says in verses 21 and 22 of Leviticus 25, I will so order my blessings for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth the crop for three years. When you are sowing the eighth year, you can still eat old things from the crop, eating the old until the ninth year when his crop has come in. In other words, God says, in that sixth year, I'm gonna create, I'm gonna have so much food come out that when you harvest it, you're gonna have enough food for the seventh year, possibly for the eighth year, and even in the ninth year, if you need it, you're still gonna have leftovers. So God says, I want you to rest and I will provide. I want you to put your shovel down and I will produce the food. I want you to step back and receive my gift of rest and I will work on your behalf to make sure that you're taken care of, to make sure that all the provisions you need are there for you. So God has designed us to be dependent upon him, which is one of the reasons why it's hard for us to take a vacation or to rest is we feel like it's all on us. God says it's actually all on me. From your salvation to your next breath, to your eternal destination, it's all based on me. You can rest. So catch what God did here. He instituted for God's people daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, and yearly rhythms of rest, recovery, and celebration. Every day there's a reminder when you close your eyes. Every week there's a reminder when you take a day off. Every year you should have reminders as you celebrate and go on vacation. All these things are important to the Lord. Jesus' example. So Jesus shows up on the scene. And one question I have in my mind is, did he demonstrate this in the way he lived? Or did he live differently? I would argue Jesus was the busiest man ever born. In three years, he had to raise up a ministry that would reach the world. In three years. So that's more work than you will do in 40 or 50 years. That's more work than I will do in my next 40 or 50 years. Jesus had more responsibility on his back 
than you or I ever will. How did he use his time? Mark 135 says, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a secluded place and was praying there. It wasn't because Jesus had a lack of work to do. There were people all around the house. There were people who were hurting, people who were sick, people who were suffering, and they needed Jesus's blessing. They needed Jesus to touch them and to make them well. Jesus still knew that it was important for him to sneak away and to have some silence and some solitude and to be with his father, even in the middle of all the potential work that was all around him. Mark 3.13 says, and Jesus went up on the mountain. So in the Luke passage, which is parallel to this passage, it tells us that Jesus went up onto the mountain and he spent much of the night praying. Then the next morning he shows up and talks to his disciples and he sets aside 12 disciples who he calls his apostles. So Jesus spends time alone, connects with the Lord, and then brings those who are close to him, those that he loved, together to celebrate what God had done and the decisions that God had made Jesus do. This next verse, I've never really noticed this verse before. Mark 6, 30 and 31. The apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that, he had, all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. And then they end up going to a boat and they just spend time together. They went out and they did work. They went to different towns and they talked about Jesus and what he had done. They performed miracles. And when they come back, Jesus says, hey, let's just go grab some time together. Let's go and rest. And they do. They follow Jesus. They go somewhere else and they enjoy their time with one another. They go somewhere else and they celebrate all that God had done. They put the ministry shovels down and they enjoyed one another. So the third point is living life in balance. So can we find balance? I think we can when we follow what God has called us to do, his design. So here are some thoughts on how to actually live this life in balance. Number one, we enjoy his good gifts. We enjoy his good gifts. By doing so, we bring him glory and joy. By enjoying his good gifts, we bring him glory and joy. When someone gives you something awesome, the way that you say thank you is you enjoy the thing they gave you. So for you and I, God has given us some awesome things. Like when you leave here, you're gonna go somewhere or you're gonna go home and make some food. When you enjoy the food that you've made, that brings glory to God. Your meals bring glory to God. When you enjoy the breeze blowing on your face, when you enjoy the mountains, the ocean, the sand, hiking, the New River Gorge, whenever you enjoy any of those things, you're bringing glory and joy to God. So I encourage you to enjoy his good gifts. We have a unique opportunity as West Virginians. John talked about this earlier. We live in one of the most beautiful places in the country. We have the New River Gorge, we have Fayetteville, we have Summersville Lake, Kanawha State Forest, hiking, fishing, biking. If you go to this website, it's wvstateparks.com, wvstateparks.com it shows you all the different things that you can be doing around the state. Here's the website right here. It's actually really well done. And as, it's, as the website scrolls down, it gives you different categories, hiking, camping, fishing. You click on that and you see all the places in the state where you can do those things. And at the bottom of the website, it even shows you events that are happening right now in different parts of the state. 
So to live this out, to enjoy God's goods, get good gifts, could be as simple as enjoying the state that you're born in, the state that you live in. Go be a West Virginian who loves West Virginia. That's a way to glorify and bring joy to God. Second encouragement is that we celebrate together in community. We celebrate together in community. So 1 Thessalonians 5.16 is two words. It says, rejoice always. So how do I get celebrate together in community from rejoice always? The word rejoice there is a, it's a commandment. It's an imperative, like you're commanded to rejoice, but it's in the second person plural. What does that mean? It's like for me, when I, when I leave my house with my wife and my two kids are there, and maybe my two kids and some of their friends are there, I will look at them and I'll say something like, don't burn down the house, okay? I'm not talking to just one of them. Any of them, all of them collectively need to not burn down the house. That's what this is. This is Paul talking to the Thessalonians saying, you all, all of you together, rejoice, be glad, celebrate what God has done. It's a commandment to the group and it can only be honored and followed when the group does it together. If someone reads rejoice always and they individually rejoice, they've actually missed the point of that verse. The commandment isn't for an individual to rejoice, but for the children of God together to rejoice which means to express gladness, to express joy, and to celebrate together in response to God's goodness and God's faithfulness. Rejoice always is a picture of us celebrating together in community. Have you ever heard of blue zones? There's some studies that have been done about different people groups around the world. These particular five people groups live longer than any other people groups in the world. They're called blue zones. And it's not like they're all in just one part of the world. They're all over in Costa Rica, in Greece, in Japan, Italy, and even in California. These aren't cities or towns. They're, little, they're groups of people. So there's all these studies that have, been, that have been done trying to figure out what are the commonalities between these different types of people that cause them to live healthier and to live longer and oftentimes more productive lives. Here's what they found. Each one of these groups of people are surrounded by loved ones and friends and they live together in community. In many pockets of our society, people live in isolation. Every one of these groups, and it's not just their immediate family, they live interconnected with other families and other friends. The community lives life together. That's a consistent component for all five of those. If you take that component out, people die younger. So part of why they live so long is because they live life together and healthy eating habits, and they move a lot, um, and they have some level of spirituality in their lives. But the interesting thing is, because those other components are in lots of different places, but this interconnectedness with one another, as soon as that goes away, people die sooner. Why? Because God has designed us to be interdependent on one another. God has designed us to celebrate and enjoy life together. And when that doesn't happen, we just don't function the way God's designed us to function. We don't even live as long as we're designed to live. So this is a core part of who we are. Third suggestion, we practically reorient our lives around God's design for rest. So rest is a choice. Rest doesn't happen by accident. So all of these things here I'm gonna suggest are choices that you can choose to make to add rest into part of your day, into part of your week, into part of your life. One, slow down. Find periods of time where you just slow down and reflect on how you're doing when it comes to rest. 
and then schedule rest time. Don't just hope that it happens. Don't just rest in response to tiredness. Rest because you've intended to rest. You've scheduled rest. If it means in your phone that everything's blotted out in yellow or green, whatever it means, find some way to find consistent rest in the rhythms of your life. I would also suggest that you celebrate everything. Celebrate everything. Like, make up stuff. It could be a birthday. It could be... Your son mowed the lawn really well. It could be because it's Tuesday. Tuesdays are fun to celebrate. I mean, it doesn't really matter why, but find things to celebrate and enjoy life together. You're designed to celebrate together. So find reasons to celebrate. Other times, find opportunities for solitude, for silence, and for just unplugging. Is there, other, is there ever a time in your home during the week where all your screens go black? where all the screens get turned off just for a period of time. Some of you are wondering if the world stops spinning if all the screens in your home go black. The world does keep spinning, okay? So sometimes you just need to turn everything off so you can have actual silence, actual peace, actual rest. Another suggestion is to do the opposite. Do the opposite. What do I mean by that? If most of your week is spent being very active when you go on vacation, rest. If most of your week you have no ability to be on social media, spend some time on social media when you go on vacation. The things that you do all week long, don't do those things on vacation. The things you don't get to do, do those on vacation. Last suggestion, schedule vacations. Schedule retreat. Schedule ways to get away. Find your favorite people. Go to your favorite place and do your favorite things. And do all of it with no guilt. No guilt. Favorite people, favorite place, favorite things. Just do it, knowing that your smiles and your joy and your rest brings great glory and joy to your Father. He loves watching you enjoy the things that he's given you. The last big suggestion is that we lean on Jesus, that we lean on Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says this. Jesus is speaking and Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I, Jesus, will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' yoke, his expectations, the work that he puts upon you, is considered light. So in your life, if the yoke, if the expectations, if the work that's being pressed on your shoulders doesn't feel light, if you're not finding rest for your souls, then it's not the yoke of Jesus. It's not the yoke of Jesus. You've put yourself under some other master, which is so, it's our tendency to do so. So if you're not finding rest for your souls, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel anxiety and stress pushing down on you, just realize that's, that is not from Jesus. It could be from putting culture as our master, work as our master, self-image, peer pressure, success. We tend to put ourselves under other masters. And Jesus says, leave that master, come to me. Because when you come to me, those of you who are weary, those of you who are burdened, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. As a result of you coming to me, you will find rest 
not just outward rest, but your very soul itself will find rest in me. Jesus is that powerful and he's that good. We're called to come to him. We only can take our hands off work because we know Jesus never takes his hand off of us. We can only take our hands off of work when we believe and we realize that Jesus never takes his hands off of us. Some of us view God as a taskmaster. Only please when you're working to the bone. I want you to listen to this next Psalm. It's a Psalm that many of you know. It's talking about the Lord being our shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus says that he is our shepherd. If you're a child of God, Jesus is your shepherd. So as you hear this description of God being our shepherd, think of this as Jesus shepherding you. Psalm 23 says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. The Lord refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So why vacation? Because God has designed you for rest. God has designed you for recovery. God has designed you for celebration. So why vacation? Because God loves you. He is always with you and you can trust him with every part of your life, including your times of rest. Why vacation? because you need moments away to be reminded of your good shepherd and what he wants for your life, which includes green pastures, quiet waters, a restored soul, and extended times with him. Why vacation? Because we trust the words of Jesus, our Lord, our savior, and our shepherd. We will rest the best when we trust God the most. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.